0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron, thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Notice these two offerings: sin offering and burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with the linen girdle and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. By the way, if you'll notice, the two goats constitute a sin offering. And we'll talk about what they do in a little bit. You've heard me illustrate it time and time again about the two goats, one killed and the other one let go, the scapegoat. But then you have the ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock for the sin offering, which is for himself, these are very important words, for himself to make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and Aaron, Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats one lot for the lord and the other for the lot for the scapegoat and Aaron shall bring the lord's uh, bring the goat upon which the lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering but the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the lord to make an atonement with him now notice the with him is with the goat that was Uh, to be offered for a sin offering. So that one was to be killed. So this constitutes both of them being the same offering for the sin offering. And let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock for the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. Now remember these coals of fire off the altar was taken off the brazen altar. And this is what his two sons failed to do when they offered strange fire to the Lord, which God commanded them not in the 10th uh, chapter. Remember when they died before the Lord. And this, of course... Encouraged or constituted the fact that Moses was giving Aaron these specific instructions that he would not die when he went into the holy place. And uh, he's given the instructions here. He shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord. And that's verse 12 and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Seven in the Bible is a number of completion, and perfection. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, that is, for the people. Now here's for the people. What he had offered before was for himself. Remember, we emphasize that. For the people. And bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement For the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions and all their sins, and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place, until he come out, and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out into the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it. And shall take of the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and howl it from, from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them that is imputing them or putting them upon the head of the of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. A fit man means a man qualified or uh, of uh, opportunity and. A man that would do this faithfully. And the goat shall bear upon him, now look, and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation, shall put uh, off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place, and put on his garments, and come forth and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people, and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering shall he burn upon the altar, and he that let go the goat, for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward come into the camp. And the bullock for the sin offering, and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement, Uh, in the holy place shall one carry forth out of the camp and they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward, that word afterward again, he shall come into the camp. And this shall be a statute forever unto you that in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month you shall afflict your souls and do no work work at all, whether it be uh, one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath. This was not the seventh day Sabbath, by the way. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you. And you shall afflict your souls by statute forever. And the priest whom you shall anoint, and whom shall... and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his Father's stead, shall make the atonement, and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. He shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation, and for the altar, and he shall make an atonement for the priests, and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you, to make an atonement for the children of Israel, for all their sins, once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, that's the reading of this whole chapter, the 16th chapter. This is a very important chapter in the book of Leviticus. You've heard, I guess, on some of your uh, television programs where they speak of Yom Kippur, or Kippur, Y-O-M, the first word, And the second word is K-I-P-P-U-R. And this is what they call the Day of Atonement. And of course, uh, it's a a certain period of time. It tells you the month and day. But anyway, uh, this was to be kept in Israel by statute. And of course, uh, K K A P H A R, means Atonement which is equal to cover. It's to cover. Uh, you find the word back in Noah's day that was given for the pitch that was to cover the ark so it would not leak. And that speaks of atonement as well. It's translated pitch sometimes and sometimes it's translated other things. But anyway, it's the word for atonement. Now then, when we study this, there's some very important things we need to study. Uh, Now, we've read it all, so I'll just give you the verses 1 through 5 where we'll find our first section of comments on on the whole thing. And when we come to verses 6, 7, and 8, I'll tell you those verses, and you may want to be glancing at those verses while we study this 16th chapter. Now then, Verses one through five, which we've already read, we find that the death of Aaron's sons gave occasion to the promulgation of this law, to making this law. The way into the holiest was not yet made manifest until Christ came. Remember, over in the book of Hebrews, it says the way and the and the holy holiness holiest was not yet made manifest, and. Uh, so by his own blood, Jesus entered into, entered into once into the holy place, having uh, obtained eternal redemption for us. That's Hebrews uh, nine verse twelve. It says, neither by listen, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having made eternal redemption for us. Now then we already mentioned in our reading that the two goats represent uh, one sacrifice and they constitute one sacrifice and and uh, merit forgiveness of sins, the two goats that are offered for the congregation. Now we could go back and talk about Aaron and his sons or Aaron and the priest offering sacrifices for himself because he was also a man and he had to offer for his own sins. Uh, and uh, over in the New Testament in Hebrews, it says Christ need not offer for his own sins. Why? He had none. But the priest of old had to offer for his own sin, then for the sins of the people. And I'm just quoting in the book of Hebrews because you can find all these uh, things over there. So, we just want to make sure that you understand that when we come to the goats that are offered for the uh, sin offering uh, for the people, that the two constituted the one sacrifice, even though one was alive and let go. It might speak this way, of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And it also does speak of the fact that the scapegoat took our sins into the wilderness. And we'll have more to say about that later on. Now then, verses 6, 7, and 8, and you can look at those. The treatment of the second victim, which was not killed, but sent away by an instructed person into the desert, implied that the sins confessed and atoned for were laid on this goat. Remember that it says in verse 21, And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel in all their transgressions, in all their sins, putting them, that means laying them upon the head of the, of the goat, that's the live goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. In verse 22 says, And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. All of this speaks of Christ. Remember Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. By the way, copy these down as I go along. This is very important. Everyone have a pencil and piece of paper or margin of your Bible? Okay, Isaiah 53 verse 6. It says, The Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So, God hath placed upon Christ the iniquity of us all. In other words, He was as much as the a high priest in the Old Testament, uh, putting upon the head of that live goat all the sins, transferring them to that live goat so that they would be taken away into the wilderness. And by the way, that's what Jesus did for us. John says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. In other words... Christ not only died of our sins on the cross, but in the process of His one sacrifice, He took away our sins into a land of forgetfulness. And uh, we'll have some more to say about that as we progress along. Uh, So Jesus put away sin, Hebrews 9 verse 26, He put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Now verse 9 is what we'll be referring to now. Let me go ahead and read it. It says, And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell, and offer him for a sin offering. Or rather, present him, present this live goat for a sin offering. The goat was not yet to be offered. Verse 10 Atonement had to be made for all of these things that, uh, to remove whatever ceremonial uncleanness. Remember, He, he had to, to sanctify or to cleanse by atonement all the things, the tabernacle and the, the holy place and all these things that are mentioned that He had to cleanse. And to remove whatever ceremonial uncleanness was regarded as attaching to them from the contact of the people, because the people would uh, naturally uh, need that, or necessitate that cleansing. Now, verse eleven and twelve, we find that this annual, yearly entrance of the high priest, he was enveloped in a cloud of incense within the veil. And carrying in his hand the blood of the sacrifice was an image of Christ's entrance into heaven to present before the Father his uh, atoning blood and effect intercession or effectual intercession for us. There are several references. Let me give you Hebrews 9, verse 24, and then we'll come back and illustrate it a little. It says in verse 24, Hebrews 9, verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now then, Christ, after His resurrection, appeared in the presence of God for us. Because if you remember when Mary Magdalene uh, recognized Him there in the garden. She's supposing Him to be the gardener. And when Jesus cried out, I believe it's in John chapter is it 20. And, and uh, she cried out and says, Rabona, or Rabbi, or Master. And Jesus said, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. I go to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. So His work, even though He was resurrected after He shed His blood on the cross of Calvary, was not completed in harmony with what what was typified by the priests of the Old Testament. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. And so later on, the same day, the women in Matthew's Gospel came and held Him by the feet. He said to others, Touch me and handle me, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. But he said to Mary Magdalene, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. I go to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. So something happened in the way that he fulfilled what was typified by this priest of the Old Testament in applying his blood... In the presence of God. You say, well, did He go way up to heaven and back? We don't even know how far heaven is in the first place. Do we? No one has told me how far it is. In fact, if we could pull back the veil right now, we might see it closer than we think. But wherever it is, in fulfillment of what is typified in the Old Testament, you read, let me read those words for you. It may be chapter 19. Was it 19 or 20? But it, huh? But it is chapter 20. I think I got it right. Yeah. Chapter 20 of John's Gospel. Mary, verse 11, Mary stood without, uh, at the sepulchre weeping and As she wept and stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. She recognized that there was a head and a foot there because the grave clothes were still there. He just shed them. He just shed those grave clothes and left them there. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. You know, How could you get Him out of all these wrappings and take Him away apart from the wrappings? But you see what emotion does. It casts aside all reason. I mean, you see the grave clothes in the shape of a body and Jesus is not there. But of course, all of us are very emotional at times. Right? Very emotional. In fact, it's a wonderful thing to have some emotion; yes. otherwise, we're nearly dead, aren't we? Mm-hmm. So the thing about it is, uh, she was just so bewildered at what had happened that she didn't think. Well, you know, how could they get the body out of all those wrappings? And the linen cloth was laid in the place by itself. It says over there, just that was about his face. But anyway, let's go on with this. So uh, let's read it. In verse 13, they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said, saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid Him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing Him to be the gardener, saith unto Him, Sir, if thou have borne Him hence, Tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself, and saith unto him, Ribona, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend to my Father, and to your Father, to my God, and to your God. And she came and told the disciples. Now look in Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 28, Matthew 28, quickly, and I'll show you something. Look in verse uh, verse 8. Now, these are the women that came to the sepulchre, too. And they departed, verse 8, and they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. This is more than just Mary. But now, look. And as they went to tell His disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held Him by the feet and worshipped Him. You see the difference? They came and held Him by the feet. He didn't say, Touch me not. He had already completed a work that was to be done. Now, in what form or fashion, in what way uh, He did this, we do not know. But we do know that Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, tells us that Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true. These were all figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So, whenever it was all completed, and now, as Paul writes the book of Hebrews, he's talking about a present condition where Jesus is in the presence of God and He's there representing us. His work being completed. So that now He's our great High Priest seated on the right hand of God Amen. and the work is done. Just, if you have Hebrews 9, just drop over to chapter 10 and let me show you something. Verse 12, it says, but this man... Well, let's read verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftime, oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. They had to do this, but it was only a figure of taking them away. And they they really could not be finally and completely taken away because they were figures of the truth. Now, that's Hebrews 10, verse 11 that I just read. But in verse 12 it says, But this man, Jesus, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever... Set down on the right hand of God, so He completed the work. You've heard me say before, when when you have a good work to do, and you're well, whatever you ladies are quilting a quilt or making a garment or doing some work of whatever fashion it may be, or the men maybe putting up the last molding around the ceiling, all the ceilings up. I did that one time. I put up all these tiles, every one of them and the boards that holds them too. But anyway, be that as it may, when you get through, you sit down and say, my, I'm glad that's done. And you're glad that the work is over. And you take satisfaction in a completed job. And Jesus sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. So, what we're learning from this is that this annual entrance into the holy place was uh, done... Year by year, every year, it had to be done again. But if you still have Hebrews 9 open, look at verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once, not every year, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So He doesn't have to do it over again. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's Hebrews 9, verse 12. Uh, look at verse 25. Do you still have Hebrews 9? It says, Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest enter the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. If Jesus had to follow their pattern, he would have suffered since the foundation of the world to do this job. Right? But it says, But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You get the drift of this offering back there? Day of Atonement? I mean, this is an important, important lesson. Now then, if you still have Leviticus, hold your place there. We'll be commenting on some more of it. So, by the way, the resumption of the gorgeous dress by the high priest before he came out of the holy place to complete the services of the day aptly represent the passing away of the Savior's temporary humiliation that he had upon this earth and going back to the glory which he had uh, in heaven and he's going in which he's going to appear at the second coming. We won't see we'll see Jesus coming in power and great glory we'll recognize him but we'll see him in his glorified body. now verse 13 have Leviticus 16 and what we find in verse 13. This signifies that His only hope of safety was in the revealed mercy of God through the great propitiation. The Bible tells us that Christ is the propitiation for our sins. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Verse 2 says, And He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. First John chapter 2, verse 1 says, uh, tells us about that uh, uh, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And verse 2 says, Who is the propitiation or mercy seat for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And that's what's indicated here. Uh, Romans chapter 3, if you will, Romans chapter 3 and verse uh, uh, 25. It says, "...whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in His blood." See, God has set Him forth, or presented Him, to be the propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God "...to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness..." And I preached on this this morning. "...that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus." Why is God just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus? Because God has provided in Christ a propitiation for our sins. He has taken care of our sins by His shed blood on the cross of Calvary. And having done this, God is just in forgiving our sins... And He's the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Remember we mentioned this morning that God didn't just pass over our sins and say, I'll just forget it because I want to show you mercy. No. The the penalty of sin was paid for by Jesus on the cross of Calvary. He paid the full price. And therefore, God can be just in justifying us because the price has already been paid let's let's try to put it on kind of a human level if I can think of how to illustrate it suppose suppose you owe a thousand dollars down here at the bank and somebody comes along and says I know that that uh, this individual can't pay that thousand dollars and I'm just going to pay it for them I'm going to pay it for them and you go in there and you pay pay the bank for that $1,000 debt that's owed by another one. And uh, and you get the receipt for it. And you hand the receipt to your friend that you paid the debt for. And so the bank is justified in forgetting all about that. They're justified in it because they've been paid. God's been paid. Jesus paid the penalty, the price of the penalty for our sins. On the cross of Calvary. And God says, I shall see the travail of His soul and be satisfied. Now, if God is satisfied with the payment, why do you and I quibble over it all the time and say, well, you know, I know He died for my sins, but but, but what? If He paid it all, we sing a song, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. And if He paid it all, what do you owe? Nothing. You owe your love to Jesus. You owe your thanks to the, to the Lord. But you don't owe the sin debt anymore because it, He paid for the penalty of your sins. Thank God I had one to pay my debt. If you had this il- illustration we use about the bank, you would thank this person that he paid for your debt, wouldn't you? Well, I thank God that he paid my debt. Amen. And that Jesus took care of it completely. So, that in Romans chapter 3, verse 25 is the main verse. Uh, the, well, in verse uh, 28 it would be good. Let's read verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Why? We conclude. Paul, when he puts his argument forth about our justification... He's not like some people today say, well, we suppose, or we think maybe. He says we come to a conclusion. Right? When you conclude, you've made up your mind and you have your your facts all lined up and you know that that's the answer to the problem. Right? We conclude. And it says, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And so God has justified us. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thought. Well, we're going to have to hurry. We've still got some more to talk about here. Uh, When we come back in Leviticus now, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, what we want to comment on here is that no man, not even the priests, any of the priests who ordinarily ministered uh, within the sanctuary, no man could go in Remember, it says, let no man be in there. I think you read that. Let's see what uh say. Verses 14. And you'll find it that uh, when He made this atonement, in verse 17 it says, And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make atonement. Verse seventeen is the key verse. Not even any of the priests; it was the it was the uh, one who went in to minister. The, these priests ordinarily ministered within the sanctuary, but when this was done on the day of atonement, it said, "Let no man no man was to be in there." This injunction makes a typical character of the high priest. Very conspicuous as representing Him who performed alone the work of our atonement. Who Jesus performed alone the work of our atonement. He had no one to help Him. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, When He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. He had by Himself purged our sins. Now then, we'll get to uh, other verses. And there's a whole cluster of verses before we get to any comments. Uh, and we won't read them again, but let's just pick up with the comments on it. Verses 18 through 29, as you continue the thoughts on the whole passage there, of the bullock and things that were offered. When we think about all these things that were done, The sense of sin in the minds of the people was to be deepened by every available means and to be brought out in becoming forms of grief. It says that they should afflict their souls on that day. In other words, it was a day of repentance and a day of their faith in in the Lord and what He had done for them. And so they should afflict their souls. That's why we call it the Day of Atonement. And that's why you have that uh, thought of, uh, of the people confessing their sins and so many things. And to accept these things that we have talked about, you know, Christian philosophy is this. God said it. Moses wrote it. And I believe it. And that settles it. It's the bottom line. And the question today is not a matter of interpretation. You know, people say, that's your interpretation. It's not so much a matter of interpretation, though it does need to be rightly divided. But people come along with this, but if you read it and study it, it's more the question of whether you accept what God has said than it is of whether or not you can interpret what God has said. There are some things that we need help on. That's why we have teachers and preachers and study Bibles and why we have uh, lexicons and concordances and, and all these things. And that's why you need to study it out. Some things are not exactly as they appear on first thought. You look at something in the Bible and you'll say, my goodness, that sounds unreasonable. And you begin to study it out and you'll find that you know God has a plan and a purpose and a way of helping you understand that Difficult passage of Scripture. And uh, that's why it takes study. And God longs for a man to approach the mercy seat. And there must be confession. And there will be uh, confession on the part of the believer. And there will be forgiveness as well. Let me give you a mark of the Lord's day. Self-mortification. In other words, put to death. Mortify. The Bible says, mortify the deeds of the body. And separation. Separation. You're to be separated from the world. Remember that little thing I read at the end of the service this morning about the moon and the sun? And the eclipse of the of the The moon? The moon says, you're not shining like you usually do. And the sun says, well, you know what's happened in this eclipse? The earth is between us. And that's what happens when people people are not separated from the world. The eclipse takes place. So we need to understand that we need separation. The Bible says... That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And this is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Then it says in verse 2 And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. In other words, don't be conformed to this world, don't let it get in between you and the light. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, some people are world conformist instead of being not conformed to this world. There are some people that will let the world make them what the world wants you to be. Be an individual, stand on your own two feet. And you take your stand for the Lord. And don't be one that has to be a robot for someone else or, or a puppet on a stream being pulled every direction. We're not puppets. We're not robots. We're not run by engines and little computer things and so on. By the way, if one of those robots get a, gets a bolt out of place, he's, he's done for. Or maybe one of the nuts fly off. But you and I are not that way. God has made us. Did you know your your mind, your brain is the is the biggest computer? It has more more uh gigabytes than any anything. It's got all of them. And some that's why you and I, if we play it right and if we try to keep our minds alert, can remember things that happened when we were six years old. I mean, I can remember things that happened before I ever went to school. Four and five years old. People and things. Well, I mean, see? And I'm already 80. Well, your mind is just as old as the rest of your body. And so... Promote it. And let me encourage you to do this. Exercise your mind the same as you do your body. And by the way, that means you've got to exercise your body more too, doesn't it? (laughs) I didn't want to get into that, but we'll let that go. So, uh, self-mortification, mark of the Lord's day. Self-mortification, separation, consecration. What is consecration? It's pretty close to dedication, isn't it? Consecration. And attention. Give our attention to the things of God. Reverence and humility. Reverence and true humility. Don't be like the fellow that says, you know, uh, have you ever read my great book on humility and how I obtained it? Have you ever read that one? It's kind of a contradiction in terms, isn't it? And then reality. We must face up to reality. Some things are real. It's a fact that we live and die. It's a fact that that we have life now. It's a fact that one of these days we'll have no more opportunity to serve God. And because that's a reality, what does it mean? Today... If you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Today, now is the time that we need to do something. So we don't know how many tomorrows we have. Maybe we have several. Maybe we don't have very many. But I, I've asked God to help me to take advantage of every every day. And you know, Paul encouraged the Ephesians. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. Every one of us. Now, then, uh, we'll have to hurry. I want to finish this right quick. We're heedless of the Lord's day sometimes. These things make the work of the Lord more precious to us if we have self mortification, separation, consecration, attention, reverence, and humility, and reality. It's meant to correct the worldliness which has crept into our lives. Correct the world in us. That means to get rid of it. John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That's First John chapter 2, I believe, beginning with verse 15. It's at least in that area somewhere. And uh, so it's meant to correct those things. Now then, let me try to conclude with these thoughts. It was full atonement that was made. Full atonement. There was atonement for the sanctuary. Remember? Atonement for the tabernacle. There was atonement for the altar. There was atonement for the priest. And there was atonement for the people. Everything. And Christ is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but we gave you this uh, earlier, but also for the sins of the whole world. By faith we can appropriate the sacrifice. When, this, uh, when the priest laid his hands upon the head of that live goat, he was appropriating that sacrifice. He was transferring the sins, not only his sins, but of all the people to the head of that goat that was taken away and turned loose in the wilderness. You know, when the prodigal son returned, the Father said, put on the best robe. The robe of, covered His poverty and it covered His uncleanness. The message of the blood is this. It makes peace. The Bible says in Colossians 1.20, and having made peace through the blood of His cross. The message of sins that are gone. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. We've told you this time and again. You have Colossians one twenty, Psalm one o three verse twelve. The first one concerning the prodigal, I didn't give you Luke fifteen verse twenty two, the best robe, and it was a message of the devil's defeat. Uh, John twelve verse thirty one, Jesus said, "Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out." It was a message of hindrances removed. You know, Paul told the Galatians, he said, you did run well, but what has hindered you to run? What's hindered you now? They started out all right, the book of Galatians, but they failed to continue. Sometimes we start out and we don't finish the race. And it was also a message of heavenly joy.